Welcome to Good Heavens, a podcast about how the heavens declare the glory of God. If you've been following the news lately, you know the remarkable new James Webb Space Telescope has been taking some breathtaking images of the heavens. It's one thing to see images of the heavens on your computer or smartphone, but it is another thing entirely to see and enjoy the sights of the night skies right from your own backyard without a telescope. Hi, this is Daniel Ray, co-host of Good Heavens, here just to give you a reminder of some upcoming celestial events you can see right in your own backyard. It would be ideal if you could make it out to a dark sky area, but if you cannot, these celestial shows I'll be talking about briefly will still be visible from most urban areas. First, coming this Monday, September 26th, the planet Jupiter will rise just after sunset. Jupiter will be in opposition to us here on Earth. Now, opposition doesn't mean Jupiter stands by ready to crush us or anything like that. Rather, opposition just means that Earth will be on a direct line between the Sun and the king of the planets. Opposition of Jupiter occurs every 13 months, so next year's opposition will be in October. Jupiter's 2024 opposition will be in November and in 2025. Can you guess? Yes, Jupiter will be in opposition just in time for Christmas. And any fans of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia might not know this. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Lewis brought all the attendant medieval lore about Jupiter, called Jove in olden times, into The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lewis associating Jove with jolly old gift-giving Father Christmas. Ultimately, it was Lewis's aim in the Chronicles of Narnia to imaginatively remind us of how the heavens declare the gift-giving mercies and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who led captivity captive and still continues to this day to give gifts to men. Seeing Jupiter as the king of the planets, Lewis said that the great red spot on Jupiter reminded him of the king who was wounded for our transgressions. And for me personally, the stripes of the king of the planets serve to remind me of the passage in Isaiah 53, where we read, By his stripes we are healed. Now, this is not to say that God intended Jupiter to specifically remind us of such details, nor is this to put any stock in astrology or predicting the future by looking at the stars and planets. Rather, Jupiter should remind us of Jesus in many different ways. All the heavenly hosts should remind us of Christ. As Psalm 19 says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Day to day pours forth speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Probably the most wonderful thing about Jupiter's opposition this year is that it will be the closest to Earth it has been in decades. Some astronomy reports I read say it's been over 70 years since Jupiter has been this close. 
Other sites I visited say it's been 59 years. Either way, it will be quite a lovely sight on Monday night, even without a telescope. Jupiter will be bright enough in the evening sky that you might think it's an airplane, especially if you live near a metropolitan airport as I do here in DFW. Or you might even think it's the planet Venus. If you have binoculars or a small telescope and your skies are clear, you will certainly see at least three of Jupiter's four largest moons, Io, Ganymede, Castillo, and Europa. And with just a small telescope, you might be able to see some of the distinctive stripes of the largest orb in our solar system. So turn off football for a while and go have a look at Jupiter this Monday night. Meteor showers are coming to your neighborhood. Coming up in October, November, and December are some celestial fireworks shows. If you like meteors, the fall and winter are just for you. All you need is good visibility, a lawn chair or two, and maybe a cup of hot cider, a hot chocolate, or wassail, and a little patience. In October, the peak of the Draconids comes on the night of the 8th into the wee hours of the 9th. The radiant point, the place in the sky from which the meteors come, will be found in the constellation Draco the Dragon, the serpentine, often difficult-to-see grouping of stars that winds around the pole star Polaris. If you're in a dark sky area, Draco looks like a kite attached to a string. To see the Draconids, find Polaris, or at least situate your lawn chairs looking northward, and then have fun spotting them. Also in October is the Orionid meteor shower. These luminous beauties are the broken fragments of the famous Halley's Comet. So if you won't be around in July of 2061 to see Halley's magnificent return, you can at least catch some of Halley's dust. The Orionid's radiant comes out of the constellation of Orion the Hunter, what I'd call the most luminously beautiful and most easily recognizable of all the constellations in the Northern Hemisphere. Orion can be seen by locating the three stars of Mintaka, Alnilam, and Alnatak that make up the famous belt of the hunter. The Orionids will peak on the night of October 21st and into the morning hours of October 22nd. Orion will rise just after midnight on the 22nd. So if you go out on the evening of the 21st, look toward the east to get the best vantage point. The meteor shower for the month of November is the Leonid meteor shower, which peaks on the night of the 17th and into the morning hours of the 18th. The meteor showers emanating out of the lion comes from the comet Temple Tuttle, which orbits our sun once every 33 years. And in 1833, the Leonids were so incredibly prolific, the night sky looked like someone had violently shaken a snow globe. Streaks were so numerous that they could hardly be counted. You can guess by the name from where the radiant of this shower comes. Yes, Leo the Lion. 
Now, the constellation of Leo looks like a backward question mark. To find it, first locate Orion in the belt stars, then work your way backward toward the east and find Gemini the Twins, characterized by its two brightest stars, Pollux the Boxer and Castor the Breaker of Horses. Right behind Gemini, you'll find the question mark of Leo the Lion, as if he's chasing the twins. Though I've not seen anyone suggest it before, I think Leo chasing the twins is something of the idea in C.S. Lewis's The Horse and His Boy. If you'll recall, it is Aslan the Lion who brings together the twins Shasta and Cornyn. Like the myths of the celestial twins of Castor and Pollux, Shasta, or Prince Kor, is a horsebreaker, and Prince Cornyn is a great fighter. So, if you're a Narnia fan, next time you find Leo and Gemini, think of Lewis's The Horse and His Boy. Also, in the book of Acts, Luke gives Castor and Pollux an honorable mention. Chapter 28, verse 11 says, quote, And at the end of three months we set sail on an Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island, and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. The reference to twin brothers is to Castor and Pollux. And as you ponder the beauty of the Leonids, you can also contemplate one of the titles given to Jesus, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. Jesus is known as the Man of Sorrows, the Bright and Morning Star. He is the one who wipes away all our tears and sorrows. As Revelation 5.5 describes, quote, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the Lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals, end quote. John wept because at first he saw that no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was worthy to open the book of the one who sat on the throne. While we may not have the frighteningly glorious visions of the throne as John did, if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are unworthy and unable to, on our own power, do what God requires of us. Our own sin brings us untold misery, personal trials and tribulations threaten to overwhelm us, God sometimes seems distant. Our faith at times seems cold and unreal. But take heart. The Lion of the tribe of Judah keeps your tears in his bottle. Your name is written in his book. He knows your steps. He has numbered the hairs of your head. You are of much more value to him than the birds or the stars in the sky. If he has given his life for you, he will also gladly comfort you in your distresses, though trials may persist for a little while. So if you're feeling a bit downcast in mid-November, see if you can't find your way out underneath some dark skies and catch a glimpse of the Leonids and be reminded of the grace, mercy, and beauty of Jesus and his love for you.
And in December, just in time for Christmas, are the grandest of all the meteor showers of the year, the Geminids. Can you guess from what constellation these meteors emanate? Yes, Gemini. We are back having another look at the twins. The Geminids promise to be the most prolific of all the showers for the year. If the weather is clear and you're in a dark sky area, you might be able to see up to a hundred or more Geminid meteors per hour. A fascinating fact about where these meteors are believed to have originated, astronomers believe they don't come from a comet, but actually from an asteroid. So what's the difference, you might ask? Briefly, comets are made up of ice and rock and have elongated tails. The word comet comes from the Latin word hair, coma, because comet tails have been described as hair. This hair is produced as the ice and trapped gases in the comet are heated and blown out by intense solar winds. Comets orbit our sun far beyond the orbit of Neptune. Asteroids, on the other hand, are comprised of mostly rock and metal. And unlike comets, asteroids have no tails. So the Geminids are believed to have come from a small asteroid called 3200 Phaethon, an asteroid that passes closer to the Sun than the orbit of the planet Mercury. The remarkable thing is, astronomers have noted that this asteroid is far too small to be producing such a constant and prolific supply of meteors. Yet presently, there are no other candidates for the source of the Geminids. This mysterious asteroid wasn't discovered until 1983. To this day, it remains a head-scratcher for astronomers how this tiny little asteroid could not only produce so much meteoric volume, but that the volume of its output since its discovery seems to be increasing. Whatever the case may be, 3200 Phaethon reminds me of the story of the five loaves and two fish Jesus used to feed a multitude. Recall that Jesus asked Philip where they were to buy food for all the thousands of hungry people before them. And also recall a small detail in John where we read the disciples went away to buy food in another town. I cannot help but wonder how many times the disciples were off buying food as they traveled with the one who made the universe. And even when Jesus told them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the disciples reasoned among themselves Jesus was upbraiding them for not bringing bread along on their trip. So here out in the wilderness, Jesus is testing them. Where are we going to buy food for all these people, he asks Philip. Philip reasoned in purely economical terms. There was no way they could afford to. Then Andrew says, hey, there's a lad here with a few loaves and some fish. Five loaves and two fish, to be exact. But how is that going to help such a multitude of people? So Jesus takes the bread and fish and gives thanks. And soon, everyone has enough to eat. There is even 12 baskets of leftover bread. It is no small feat for the Son of Man and Son of God to make much of our littleness. Analogously, such a prolific meteor shower emanating from the Twins constellation reminds me of Jesus and his dual natures of both being fully God 
and fully man. From him, with him, and for him come all things necessary for our life and godliness. If Jesus feeds the birds of the air, so too will he feed us. As Philip was brought to the end of his sound economic principles, so too are we often brought to the end of our wisdom, resources, and abilities in order to see the glory of God. We cannot begin to see the glory of God in our lives so long as we are relying, Philip-like, on our own strength, wisdom, and stockpiles of denarii to answer Jesus' test questions. We cannot serve both God and mammon. As high as the heavens are above us, so too are God's ways higher than our ways. Perhaps one day astronomers will discover the mystery behind 3200 Phaethon, but until then, the Geminids will always remind me of Jesus testing his disciples and gloriously answering his own question with grace and mercy that miraculously feeds a multitude. What's in your 12 baskets? So enjoy the night skies this fall and winter and be reminded of God's faithfulness, love, and mercy toward you in Christ. For Wayne and for good heavens, I'm Daniel Ray. Soli Deo Gloria.